You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. You know, there's a lot of uh, awesome things in life, is there not? Uh, For the coffee drinkers in the room, a good cup of coffee is awesome, isn't it? I I don't know if it is super awesome, but it's awesome. It's not super awesome amazing, but some of you are like, yeah, Sean, you have not tried my coffee that I hand grind and do my little special recipe, and you're right. I am not a coffee snob. I can drink any coffee anywhere, any day, any time, because I know once I start kind of going down that road, then I'm just, it gets expensive and, you know, I became a snob and I want to do that. I'll do that in other areas of life. But there's a lot of awesome things in life. A hot shower to me is awesome. I think it's still one of the most amazing, that and indoor plumbing in general is a fantastic thing. You know, toilets are awesome, but I don't kind of think so much about that. If you got to go outside a lot, then that becomes awesome. But a hot shower, when you are tired and you're sweaty and you've worked. I mean, that is just a really amazing thing, is it not? It's it's awesome. Really, really awesome. I am told that uh, there is a donut place over in Latham that I've not been to, Duck Donuts. How many of you have been to Duck Donuts? There's a few of you. Okay. Is that awesome donuts? Super awesome? Ooh, I'm not starting a war here. Wow, it's like the Republicans and Democrats. So the duck donuts over here. I, you know, I'm her. I'm told that it's super awesome. I, I doubt that it's super awesome, amazing. But you know, in my mind, like the Krispy Kreme hot off the presses, that's kind of tough to beat. Like you got to be pretty good in the I, Dunkin' Donuts. Like the maple frosted. Like that's kind of hard for me to beat too. I'm kind of kind of there on that. Winning the Super Bowl might be super awesome, amazing, because 12 teams have never done it, you know, but there's not a lot of things in life. There's a lot of awesome things. There's some super awesome things, but there's not a lot of super awesome, amazing, just stupendously, categorically incredible things in life. But I'm going to share with you this morning five of those amazing, super awesome, amazing blessings that we get through our salvation, through our justification, we are righteous with God when God saves us. Chapter 5 is such an incredible thing that Paul has been kind of building and building and building and kind of explaining the mechanics of what our salvation is and all about. And now we're kind of at the top of the roller coaster, if you will, and he's sharing some incredible stuff with us in chapter 5, kind of the, the benefits and the blessings that we get to enjoy because we have a relationship with Christ. So read with me, if you would, in chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, number one, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. That's number two, in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, there's a third one, of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, cannot put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, there's number four, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Paul says, guys, now that I've been talking to you about this justification, it's the core of our salvation. We often will talk about, churches will talk about being born again or being saved or are you a believer? We talk a lot about, you know, following Jesus. It's kind of a, are you really following Him or is it just something, you know, a religious duty that you've done in your life? But at the core of what our salvation is about, the core of our relationship with Christ. There's a lot of different ways, you know, that we could talk about it, adoption and redemption and all of these. But the center of it all is our justification. And I don't know why we don't use that word more often than churches. I don't know why we don't kind of talk about that. Our life group kind of unpacked it. And we were kind of like really not sure why that's, you know, not talked about. But it, the problem is our sin. And the problem with our sin is that we're guilty and we're wrong before God. So the solution is God removing the sin and God basically saying, you are now good, you are righteous. And the Bible terms that when the God of heaven declares us, He commits and makes a pronouncement over our life. He says, you are justified. That's what that word means. It's an easy way. Somebody said this long ago. You've probably heard this or some of you may have heard it, but an easy way to remember it is justified is just as if I'd never sinned. That's a simple way. That's what it means. It means that God, who knows everything, looks at your life beginning to end, all the wrong that you've ever done, all the wrong that you are doing now, all the wrong you'll ever do in the future, and He makes a pronouncement and He says, it's just as if you'd never sinned. And when He does that in our life, the first blessing that Paul says is, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the first super awesome, amazing thing is that we have peace with God right now. That word peace means to take two things that are separated and to put them together. It means taking two things that are opposite, two things that are at odds, two things that are broken, and you mend them and you put them back together. Last fall, when uh, it started getting a little bit colder, I don't know how you roll with your thermostats if you check the batteries in it. Some of you are probably like annually doing the smoke detector thing. You know, you're supposed to do that. I don't. You're probably lazy like me. It kind of when it starts chirping at me in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh, I need to go find that and fix it. And that same with the thermostats. It's just when all of a sudden I wake up one day, I don't have any heat. I go start looking around like, why is this not working? And so I noticed that we had heat downstairs. It was starting to get colder and, the, you know, the fall is kicking in and but we weren't getting any heat upstairs. And I kind of paid attention to it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, the batteries look okay, but I changed them and kind of reset them, and still, like, nothing, not getting any heat. And I'm like, okay. I kind of went online, and I pulled the thermostat, and I saw how to test it. I'm like, well, I pulled out my little electric meter. I'm like, yeah, that seems to be okay. And I went down in the basement, and I saw where the thermostat line from upstairs goes down into the box that, you know, basically that says to my, my boiler, hey, it's time for it's cold. People are getting cold. People want to take showers, turn the heat up. And I checked the line there, and I'm like, I've got power there, and I don't have power coming to my line up here. So there's a problem, and I kind of found halfway in between. I kind of was trying to figure it out. I'm like, well, it looks like my wire is broken, and I tested it halfway in the middle, and sure enough, it was dead. So I don't know what happened. Somewhere between last spring and this fall, maybe I shot a screw in the wall, broke it, maybe a mouse chewed through it. Who knows? But anyway, whenever something is broken or separated, it doesn't work. You see... 
when there was a separation, when there was no electricity going from my boiler up to the, the, to the thermostat, there was no communication going on. There was a complete breakage there. When God, who is the source of light, when you and I were broken from Him in this world, which is how we were all born in this world, that means you and I do not have light. It means we have nothing but darkness. When God, who is the source of life, when we are broken from Him, when we are separated from Him, it means we have nothing but death. You see, this is an amazing thing, is that what God does when He saves us and He declares us to be righteous, it isn't just that we become innocent and we become good in His eyes, but He repairs that breach, that which is broken, He puts back together again. You see, we're all born in this world sinners, separated from God. That's what Isaiah 59.2 says. But your iniquities have separated or made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. You see, that brokenness, not just broken, not working, but that brokenness and separation from a holy God means that God in heaven doesn't even hear our prayers. You see, there's a lot of people in churches today. We'd be shocked to know how many people are attending church last night or today or, t- or tonight or this week that, that think they're okay with God but have never really surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. They've never been declared righteous by God. There's still brokenness there. And the Bible says that God does not hear. God does not hear our prayers. God only hears the prayers of individuals who've surrendered their life to Jesus, who've experienced that, 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 uh, that justification, that salvation, because God has removed that which separates us. Which separates us from God? Our sin. That's what Isaiah 59 says, is our sins have separated us from God. It is our iniquities, the things that we've done wrong. So amazing thing that God saves us. He gives us a hope of heaven. He declares us to be good and righteous. And so before Him, we stand free and clear. But He puts us together. And we have a peace with God in heaven. And that means when you are a child of God, that today, as a saved, justified, born-again person before God, that the God of the universe hears your prayers. You could probably go home and try to email the president or try to get the phone number, the cell phone of the king of England. King Charles, is that right? Okay, the new king there. You could try to get whatever famous celebrity or sports figure you want, but you're probably not going to get through to them. And yet the God of the universe put all of the famous, powerful, amazing people in this world together, and they don't even show on the the scale of 1 to 10, they don't even reach a decimal point compared to who God is, and yet the God of the universe says, you have a direct line to me, and I am listening to your prayers, and I want to answer your prayers, and I've done all the heavy lifting to make it possible for me to work into your life. We have peace with God in heaven. Now, the second thing I want you to recognize, because I'm doing things backwards, this is like the Oreo. You get the chocolate top, but the cream, we're going to do it in a second. We're going to go ahead and eat the bottom of the chocolate first. I don't know how you do that in reality. If you take a knife, I don't know. You know, I just kind of bite the Oreo and go for it. But anyway, this peace 
And now the next one I want to talk to you about logically is reconciliation. And I won't tell Paul the apostle that he was illogical, but he kind of comes back around to that that peace, reconciliation idea at the end of this passage. But look at verse 9. Look what he says. He says this. He says, Since therefore we've now been justified. Again, God declaring us righteous. How is that? It's by His blood, by Jesus dying on the cross much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. You see, because we have peace, we're saved. And because we have peace with God, God is no longer angry at us. And there's judgment and punishment is no longer coming to us. We have been saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Three times, if we didn't get the message, if we didn't get it with peace, Paul says three times, you have been reconciled, you are reconciled. We have received reconciliation. The Bible is extremely consistent. Sometimes we don't pay attention to the exact words we use and phrases we use and all of that. And sometimes we're a little sloppy with the things that we say. But God is never sloppy in what He says. God is very precise, and the Bible is so consistent. And if you pay attention to these words, what He's saying is is that we have been reconciled. Because we have peace with God, God then has reconciled us to Himself. No more enmity, no more wrath, no more any cloud hanging over our heads, no worry. What's going to happen when we die? Well, I hope when I die that it's going to be okay. I hope that things have been sorted out. I kind of hope that I make it. I hope that I pass the exam and, you know, can skip that other place because I really want to go to heaven. The Bible says is that we are, and we today are reconciled with God. That when God declares us righteous, there is a complete, not just a peace being, you know, two things at odds together, but there is a completed reconciliation that He works with us. Now, if you pay attention to these words, notice that we don't reconcile ourselves. This isn't you and me reconciling things with God. Sometimes people are like, well, yeah, I'm going to get this all worked out with God. I'm going to straighten this out and work it out. Like That's not the way it works. This is not when you get into a fight with your brother or your sister or your neighbor or your co-worker and you feel like, okay, you know, we're going to go reconcile. We're going to make up. We're going to take care of it. This is not you, you know, buying a box of chocolates because you said or did something dumb thinking that that's going to somehow make it better. God, we are the reconcilee. God is the reconciler. We don't do anything in this reconciliation process. God reconciles us to Himself. God is the one who justifies us. We don't justify ourselves. God does all of the heavy lifting. We are just the recipients of it. We are the beneficiaries of it. We are passive in all of the action, in all of the activity, in all the action in the middle of it. Well, Sean, I thought we had to have faith. You do. But our faith is just a response to what God has done. You see, we don't even find confidence in our faith. We find confidence in what God did. We find our trust and our hope in what Jesus did. You see, the world around us and and we ourselves, we try to justify our actions. We even use that word. Well, I, you know, you're trying, we just try to justify, we make excuses why it's okay, whatever we've done. 
And the world is so busy trying to make everything so inclusive and, and justify and make normative behavior that God is the God of the universe says, that is not normative. That is not normal. That is not the way I designed. That is not the way that I made this world. And each one of us, God looks at us and just, we try to justify our little lies. Well, they're just a little lie. It's no big deal. It didn't hurt anybody. And God's like, no, that's not what I put into this world. That is wrong. And so God looks at us and He declares us to be righteous on one basis and one basis only, that we trust what He did and not anything that we do. And so when we do, when we trust Him in that way, we respond in a surrendering faith. We have peace. We have reconciliation. And God puts us together with Him completely, completely and entirely. And on the basis of that, we then get grace. Look what the Bible says back at verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, the peace that we get comes from God declaring us righteous, and there's a reconciliation in there that is a done deal, that today we stand before God not having to wonder or doubt. And it's through that peace, through Jesus Christ, our relationship that now we have at one with Him, that we have access. We have access to grace. And we stand in that exact same grace today. Here's the crazy thing. When you and I have relational trouble with people, and we manage to work through some of those things, if they're really big things, oftentimes we just learn to kind of get along to go along. You know what I mean? There's not, we kind of made up, if you will. But when God reconciles us to Himself, He goes a million, bazillion times beyond that. He actually then says, I'm giving you grace in the middle of all of it. There's no grudges. There's no memory of the past. There's as if we had never done anything, as if there was never anything wrong to begin with. And God pours out grace into our life. And we today have access to that grace. We sing about that. Folks, grace is the absolutely most super amazing, awesome thing, incredible in this world. The most amazing thing is that you and I, who don't deserve anything, that God gives us everything. He gives us all of His righteousness, all of His goodness in our lives. He grants it to us. He goes beyond just saying, well, I'm going to be okay that you've done something wrong, and I'm going to choose to forgive you, but I remember all of it, and, and there's you know, ramifications and you know, all of those things. God's like, we're moving past all of that, and I'm giving you gr nothing but grace in your life. And today, you have the same amount of grace available to you as the first day when you trusted Jesus and surrendered your life to Him. Just as much. We don't use it up. If you're like me, when you start getting close to the end of the toothpaste, here's true confessions. I'm going to mess with couples a little bit. How many of you squeeze a toothpaste in the middle of the tube? How many of you has a spouse or somebody that does that and kind of like, yeah... Yeah, I, I knew there was at least a couple in this. And I'm the guy dutifully at the end. 
kind of squeeze it all back up again, you know, the nightly routine, kind of get it all nice and tight. And I'm that guy that we get to the end, I'm like squeezing it every little, get the vice grips out, you know, get every little drop that's in there and then you throw it away. I don't know why, it's just a little compulsiveness in there that, you know, that we all probably have to a degree. But we when use it all up. Grace is not like that. You see, once we use that tube up, we know we just go get another one. God's grace, the tube never runs dry. There's always more and more and more. Sometimes you and I think, well, maybe I've really done it today. I really kind of messed up yesterday, and maybe God's just not quite as gracious with me today. Maybe He's just not going to hear my prayer. Maybe I just, uh, you know. And God says, no, that's not the way I work. That may have been the way you were raised, but that's not the way that I work. That might be what you've experienced with your boss. Maybe you've got an end of that, or maybe you know, in a family that was the way it worked, but not with me. You will never run out of that tube. In fact, you will never have to go get another tube. You've got just as much grace today, replenished and refreshed anew in every area of our life. And it's that grace that causes us to stand. See, sometimes we, even as Christians, we feel like we're standing ourselves. Like we need to take responsibility of our life. We need to take responsibility for our growth. We need to be responsible and grow in our faith and stand up and all of those things as the Bible talks about. But you know what the amazing thing is? Even with all of that that we're responsible for and to lean into to do and to, to grow and all of that, the thing that causes us today that, to stand simply grace. We stand in His grace. Sometimes when we doubt our salvation, it's because we're putting a little more responsibility on ourselves. And we're kind of looking at our life and kind of how we're doing. We kind of make a mistake. We start measuring ourselves with where we are. And we somehow think our salvation is kind of, you know, on a scale of our obedience. And if we're living obediently, then we're okay. But truth be known, folks, no matter how good you're living or how bad you're living as a follower of Jesus Christ, grace is what causes you to stand. Now, that's a million miles from saying it's okay to go out and sin. That's another sermon another day. But what I am saying is that every day you and I are going to think things, say things, do things that we should not. And God the Holy Spirit convicts us. And what he's doing is he's trying to grow us. He's not trying to say to us that, you know, I don't love you anymore and I don't have any more grace in your life. He's trying to say, no, you're a child of mine and you have. I've put grace in your life so that you can live differently. But even when we're wrestling with those things, we stand in God's grace. Even when we might be spiritually tired. You know when you get the stomach flu or you're really sick, like you just can't even get up and stand and do much of anything? Sometimes spiritually we get a little tired and sick and all of that. And even then, we stand by grace. It's God's grace that gives us strength that causes us to stand. Third or fourth thing, I don't know which number I'm on right now. I think number four. Super amazing thing that God gives us. Not only does He give us grace, not only does He give us peace, not only does He reconcile us to Himself, and He's done all that heavy lifting, but we have a reason for joy in all circumstances, at all times. Look what verse 3 says. Or excuse me, um, back up to verse, verse 2. We've obtained this access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory 
of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our, yep, it says it, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Nobody gets excited about the suffering, but our joy should be in the product, the result of our suffering, which is endurance. And that endurance produces in our life character. And that character always produces hope. And hope, in verse 5, does not put us to shame. You see, because of this God declaring us righteous and making us one with Him and giving access to our grace, we have a reason for joy in every single circumstance of life. That word joy it kind of has a double meaning, like so many biblical words. You know, if you've ever studied languages, words in other languages will have a slightly different meaning or take on different things, and you don't, you kind of lose it in translation. You know what I mean? I I will communicate through um, through WhatsApp with a, a pastor in Mexico, and I don't speak Spanish, and so I do the heavy lifting. I'll copy what he sends to me to Google Translate, and then I'll write something out in Google Translate, and I go back to Spanish back and forth, and I tell him, I'm like, look, don't get offended if something sounds weird. Like, you know, if I said your wife is ugly or your kids are mean or something like, you know, just chalk it up to just bad translations. I'm doing the best I know how to do. Just translations don't always work. But this word rejoice it means more than just having a joy. It's the idea of a confidence. It's the idea of a boasting, if you will. You know, it seems like for a thousand years, it's not really, but teams have been singing, you know, we are the champions. When your team wins, you know, you're like, we're the greatest in the world, you know, of the world. Uh, Queen, did Queen sing that? Okay, some of you are 70s children. We recognize you. We, we know who you are. Um, that's what this word is. It is a boasting and a joy all together in the same time that nothing changes that win that your team just got. Unless it happened to be for a college that discovered later on that there was something illegal going on with recruiting and then all those wins get vacated. But that's another conversation, another day, another tampering. But nothing changes that. That's what this is. What Paul is saying is that we have a joy. We have a boasting confidence that we are a child of God, and that today that we've been reconciled to the maker of heaven and the greatest authority in this universe that nobody can trump, nobody, can, nobody has greater authority than Him, has declared us to be righteous in His eyes, and He's given us access to grace, all the grace that we could ever need just abundantly and overflowing in our life. And there is a joy, there is a confidence that we live in our life out of that overflow even to the degree when we are suffering and going through hardships and trials in life, Paul is not just this, you know, panacea, this just glib, like, oh, everything's great. You know, we're a Christian. Everything's good. I don't have any problems. Yeah, life's good. Love Jesus. Paul's like, no, we do suffer. We do go through trials. We go through hardships. And even then we have a joy and a confidence because of that grace that God has given us, because we stand with the God of heaven who rules over all of this. So no matter what that suffering is, that there's a purpose to it in our life. I don't, I don't like 
to suffer without a purpose, right? I don't mind doing hard things. I hope they're not too hard, but I kind of like a carrot at the end of the stick. You know what I mean? I like to know there's something going on that's something that's worth it. It's the effort is worth it. Whether I'm working on my house or whether I'm working on my kids, whether I'm working on whatever, I like to know that there's something in the end of it. And what Paul is saying is, look, look, when you suffer, there can be a joy in your heart because that suffering produces an endurance. There is a bearing upness in our life. There is a character that leads through that, that God is trying to forge deep into our soul. That I, uh, The Christian life, what God is doing is not just declaring us righteous and forgiving us. He's making us one with Him, but He's teaching us how to live with Him in our life in this earth. And so He says, look, you're going to have some suffering in your life. You're going to have some hardship. You're going to have some trials. You're going to have some difficulties. But what I'm doing in that is I'm teaching you to endure. I'm teaching you to bear up under extremely difficult circumstances. And every one of us will go through those things. Every one of us, will, those will happen. Partly because it's a messed up, sinful, just messed up world. But part of it is when you're a child of God, God loves you so much, He wants you to grow. And you will endure those. Because God is trying to build character in your life. You really know what a person is like, not when things are going well, but when things are not going well. You really know what's inside. You learn what's inside of you when things are going bad. And what God is saying is He's looking at us is like, are you going to cut and run? Are you going to bail? Are you going to take off and try to get away? Are you going to endure? Are you going to accept the hardship? You don't have to like it. You can have joy in the outcome of it, even while you don't enjoy the experience of it. But the joy is in God and His glory, God and what He's done in your life. And the joy is that you've got the grace that you need, all the abundant grace that you need to walk through that. I know at times it doesn't feel like it, but God will never allow those things to be the, the end of you, to be the, the death of you or whatever the saying might be. And He will help you bear under those things. And He's forging deep into your heart character. And that character ultimately always ends up with a hope. You see, in other words, He will never let things be so bad in your life that there's no reason, that there's a reason to have no hope to give up or to be so like so discouraged that I just I'm so depressed there's just no hope that he says there's always going to be hope and that hope is in him that confidence that we have and it will never ever be put to shame in other words, you and I will never ever once when we put our eggs all in the basket with Jesus when we trust Him completely that even in all the practical things of life that we suffer, that our hope is there, that it will never be proven to be a mistake. That our confidence and our trust and our hope in God will never be proven to be a foolish decision on our part. We will never be put to shame. You and I have all trusted in various things in life that failed us, have we not? 
We've probably all bought a car that let us down. We bought into you know property or something that let us down. We entered into relationships, entered into contracts, entered into situations that all failed us. And some of those we look back and are like, oh, I was such a fool. I feel so ashamed with how, what, how, why, how did I miss that? Why? But that will never, ever happen with God because God will never let us down. God will never fail. God will always be good and righteous and just, and His grace is always there, extended into our life. Folks, this should give us such an incredible hope and a confidence to walk through all of that in life. I know that we want to get out of this suffering. I want it as much as you do. I whine and cry too. I go to God, this hurts. Why do we have to keep going through this? And he's like, I love you. There's a purpose in this, Sean. Yeah, it may stink, and I'm not excited that you got to go through it, but the outcome is good for you. It's healthy for you. That person or that situation you think is so bad, yeah, it's not good, but there's some good stuff happening in your life as a result of it. Fifth thing, and I'm done. That rejoicing, that confidence that we have in our life, we have it in verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And he explains this whole love that's in our heart, not just out there somewhere, but in here. For while we were still weak, in other words, we were sinful, we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason you and I have hope and a joy in our life is because God has done something supernatural, metaphysical, spiritual, that we have His love existing inside of us. That when we have surrendered our life to Jesus, that we put our faith and our surrendering faith into Him, He declares us righteous and He sends the Holy Spirit Himself the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us and that the presence of God in our heart produces tangible love that we feel and experience in our heart. This is not a certificate that hangs on the wall. This is something that God puts inside of us. It's not just a judge who declares something over us and never sees us again. God is the judge of the universe, but then He comes and He makes His life with us, and we experience that relationship intimately, deeply, inside of us in a way that nothing can ever touch, no one can ever take away, that we never walk away from, that we, we never escape out of. And He's given that love inside of us, and that produces the hope that produces the character and the endurance and the things that we're talking about. And the amazing thing is, is the God of heaven did that while we were sinning. That's what verse 8 says, that while we were sinning, Jesus died for us. God saw you at your worst. And while you are at your worst, He still sent Jesus to pay for your sins. See, Jesus doesn't love us not being clued into who we are. He knows exactly who we are. 
And God saw you at your worst. And He still chose to love you. Back in the day when people got married, you got married, what, for richer or poorer? Sickness and health, better or worse, right? I'm a little old school. I know it's there's a kind of a, a little newer thing that's kind of cool, people writing their marriage vows and all of that, which I think is... It's great, but something I've noticed is most often they're just declarations of love. Oh, you're wonderful. I love you. You complete me. I feel good. They're kind of declarations of happiness and joy. And I'm kind of like, these are vows. Like, you got to make a promise in here somewhere, you know. you got to promise something that's got a little teeth in it, you know. So I'm like, hey, write your vows. Do some nice, wonderful things. But if I'm going to marry you, you're going to commit yourself to this other person, you know, not just talk about the way you feel like you're going to be in it for the better or worse kind of stuff, right? And we know that so many people, even who said those words, aren't in it for better and for worse. And they really ultimately either underestimated that or, you know, a whole separate way. But the God of the universe saw you at the worst that you will ever be. It's not like he's making a commitment to you at the altar and saying, well, I hope this turns out well. I hope you're a good spouse. I hope you're a good child. Conditional relationship. It's 100% unconditional. He says, I've seen your worst. And I still am saying I do to you. And I'm saving you. And I'm declaring you to be righteous completely. That's the love that you and I have. That's the love that when we realize that we are so sinful, that we recognize and see the incredible love that God still receives us. Not based on who we are, not based on our behavior, our performances, or acting right, or doing certain things, but simply based on what He did for us. Folks, these truths are so incredible and amazing in our heart. You see... If we're waking up today or tomorrow and we feel like, you know what, I just don't feel that loved by God. The issue's not God. The issue is us. God's like, you got all the grace you need. I love you today just as I did yesterday and the day before and the day before that, and I will love you the same tomorrow and the next day. And that should cause us, rather than taking advantage of God's love, it should actually humble ourselves and make us to submit to that love and to want to honor Him and please Him and worship Him. It should actually make us more obedient, not give us an excuse to go out and, and do whatever we want, but it should actually cause us to live for Him. And it should cause a consciousness in our heart about His incredible love. I must admit it's Easier is, is I like sports pretty well. I don't do March Madness because, you know, I, there's just got to draw some lines. There's only so many teams you can root for and so many things you can follow and all of that. And there's just more important things in life. But it's easier, to be real honest with you, to get up and to look at the box scores and to see how your team is doing and what your favorite player did last night than it is to start thinking deeply about the box score that God has for you with His grace and love. You see, it's easy to start taking advantage and just blowing by and missing the love that God has for us. I'm so glad that we're walking through this part of Romans as we lead up to Easter 
Because we ought to be thinking deeply about the intricacies and about the amazing love that God has for us because God wants this love in here. He wants us to feel it. He wants us to experience His presence in, his, in our lives and not just be a religious thing that we, you know, kind of got filed away somewhere. And so if you're struggling with that, experiencing that a little bit, then take a couple of steps and say, God, I'm the one who's moved. You know, if your spouse, if you're, if you have a spouse that loves you and is committed to you and showing nothing but grace and faithfulness to you, and you're the one wandering on, problem's not the spouse, the problem's you. And your, your first step is to go back and to say, forgive me. Why have I been doing that? And so go back to God and say, God, I am feeling a little cold. Would you show me where I've been messing up? Would you help me? So speak into that. Maybe you've been wondering if God really does hear your prayers. Maybe you've been wanting God to answer a certain way, and God is a, is a wise, all-faithful, all-loving parent. It's like, yeah, you can't have that today. I'm sorry. You don't need another game for your video game. I'm sorry. You have enough. You aren't going to get that exactly the way you want it, when you want it, and how you want it. Maybe you have begin thinking that God isn't just hearing your prayers or somehow doesn't love you. He does. And He loves you so much, He doesn't give in to your every desire and whim any more than He doesn't give in to my every desire and whim either. Maybe you're going through some suffering. And maybe you've been tempted in the middle of that, of just like, well, God's just not paying attention to me. He doesn't care. Or maybe God's even kind of mad at me. No, that's not the way it works. God actually loves you, and He's right there with you, and He's helping you through that. So I don't know what God has been speaking to your heart as we've been talking this morning, but folks, all of this comes because simply the God of heaven, because Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross through His blood, and then when you and I see that, and we say, God, I trust Jesus. I trust what He did. He, did. he looks at our life as judge and says, you are now innocent. And we get a boatload of blessings that continue today and every day in our life. And He wants us to live and to relish and to live within the joy of that. And so I pray this season as we head through Easter, that you'll think about those things and have some of those conversations with your family, your spouse, whatever, but focus on that box score a little bit more this week, all right? Let's pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for Jesus who loves us and died for us. Thank you for His grace. And Lord, I must confess it's even easy for me sometimes to think about your love and to want it to be expressed in things and life experiences. And yet, Lord, what we just looked at is your expression of your love is simply in our salvation, and you've made your life with us. And Father, that's enough. So thank you for that. And forgive us when we demand more, and help us to live in that grace with what we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.